Good morning, church family. It's an absolute pleasure to, uh, to be here with you all. As was stated earlier, my name is Joe Catronio, and I get the privilege of being the, the lead teaching pastor at Doxa Bible Church on the southeast side of Indianapolis. Does anybody know where Franklin Township is at, by chance? Anybody? Okay, all right, that's good. I feel at home already. So um, I, I just, just want to say thank you so much for the invitation to be here uh, with you all. And I don't know that you all necessarily had anything to do with that, but I mean, I'm part of the family. So, um, but this is, a, this is a pleasure of mine. Let me explain some family dynamics to you all. I'm not sure if you were aware of this, but uh, uh, you all are essentially our grandparent church. I mean, think about it that way. So you might, some of you all might remember uh, Brock Graham. Uh, Brock Graham, is the, uh, he was the church planting pastor for Harvest Indy South, uh, which is now Redeemer Bible Church uh, on the south side in Greenwood. Well, you guys planted, you helped plant uh, Harvest Indy South in 2015. Well, Redeemer helped to plant our church in 2020. Uh, so in the middle of COVID, right? I mean, who does that? Jesus does that. That's who does that. So, um, and it was an amazing thing to be a hold of that and see all that. So you technically are a grandparent, all right? Grandparent church. Now, hold on. If you think that you're old, listen to this one, all right? So actually, um, you're technically great-grandparents because Doxa Bible Church is gonna be planting another church in Greensburg, Indiana next month, y'all. Like, so the family is growing. The Lord is doing some amazing things. And can I just say this too, for all of you who are regular people at Radiant, um, thank you. Thank you for your radical faith and generosity to the advancement of the kingdom of God. Because God is planting churches. He's doing marvelous things, not just in Avon, but all over the city of Indianapolis and well beyond. Uh, around the world. So uh, thank you for your partnership. Let's keep going, church. Let's keep going. Let's not stop. Um, so, all right, enough of that. I want to have you open up your Bibles to, uh, let's join, join me in, in uh, Psalms. Uh, 34 is the passage we're going to be in, Psalms 34. We're continuing in the series entitled Soul Satisfied. And uh, today I'm going to be uh, unpacking this particular psalm, which is actually a very dear psalm uh, to you all because your name, Radiant, is embedded in what's happening inside of this psalm. Uh, we'll get there in just a moment here, but uh, let me just kind of give you some snapshots. Just in case you didn't know this, maybe you're new to the series that we're in right now, uh, but uh, the, the whole idea of the book of Psalms in the middle of your Bible is actually a collection of both prayers and songs that were prayed and sung by the ancient people of God. And they've been collected so that all of the people of God throughout all the portals of time would learn and know how to grow in their worship of the Lord. So this whole series is designed to help us understand how to be soul satisfied, how to experience a deep level satisfaction by growing in our worship of the King. If y'all are excited about that, say amen, come on. All right, so this is gonna be, just in case you didn't know, I'm all about total participation in the preaching service. You're gonna preach to me, I'm gonna preach to you. It's gonna be a fun time together in the house of the Lord. So that's the whole book of Psalms. It's all about songs and prayers that are being uh, sung and prayed. Well, today, today we're gonna be having a conversation about how we worship the Lord when fear is gripping our hearts. That's gonna be the conversation we're gonna find that David is having with us. In fact, um, it actually goes hand in hand with what Pastor Eric preached on and Psalm 142. How many of y'all were here for that Psalm? Uh, the beginning of the series, we, you guys unpacked that, Psalm 142. 
The things that were going on in David's life in Psalm 142 are the exact same scenario. It's the exact same situation. In Psalm 142, David is praying a prayer of lament. He's in the midst of the most dangerous situation of his life. All right, check this, give me some context. What's going on is uh, King David has been anointed to become the new king of the nation of Israel. However, the reigning king, King Saul, didn't like that. He was outrageously jealous and chased down David with some assassins, y'all. I mean, can we just park there for a minute? I mean, assassins are tracking, like Navy SEALs. How would you feel if a group of Navy SEALs had a task to come take you out? No, no, no response, really? Okay, I mean, I would be terrified, right? Now, hands up, hands up, this is a vulnerable moment. How many of you tend to make bad decisions when you're afraid? Anyone wanna to confess to that? Okay, all right, a lot of the hands went up. Absolutely, well, that, that's what's going on in David's life. He's made one bad decision after another bad decision, so much so that he finds himself in a cold, dark cave all alone. And then that's where Pastor Eric preached the Psalm 142. He's like, in that cave, he finally seeks the Lord. And it's like, where have you been, God? I need you now. And you're not anywhere around. You've been there before? You ever been there? Well, that's where David's at. And he's made some bad mistakes along the way. But in Psalm 34, <laughs> this is the song of worship that David is singing um, at the heels of that event. He cries out to the Lord and God rushes in on David and delivers him. So that's what this Psalm is about. We get the other half of what happens when David sought the Lord. And so what we're gonna find is I'm only gonna have time to cover the first three stanzas of this worship song, uh, but I strongly encourage you to sometime this week, spend the time to go through the rest of the psalm. It will light you up uh, and it'll be an encouragement to you. So uh, here's what we're gonna see in this song. There are three stanzas. I'm gonna pull out the first part of this and I'll show you three lessons that David has for us when you find yourself in moments of fear, when fear is gripping your heart so that you can learn what David learned in that cave. Here's what he learned. He learned how he could transform any cave into a cathedral. And that's the lesson he wants us to hear this morning. This entire worship song is dedicated to helping all the people of God learn how to respond when fear is gripping your heart in such a way that the very cave that you feel like you're in, cold, dark, and you're alone, you're dealing with pressures at, from the office, you're trying to uh, make decisions in the family, your, your kids don't want anything to do with you, your finances are falling apart. You don't know if your marriage is gonna make it to the rest of the month. When you're afraid, how do people of God respond? David's gonna show you how you can respond right now in the midst of the cave that you might feel like you're in in such a way that you could, it, your cave could become a cathedral. Some of you are sitting here, actually, things are going great for me right now, Joe. I don't have any fears in my life that I can think of. You and I both know that at the speed of a phone call, that can change. So David's got some lessons for us this morning. So let's lean into this. If y'all ready to jump into God's word, say, let's go. let's go. All right, here we go. Verse number one says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me 
and delivered me from all of my fears. Listen, those who look to the Lord are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. That's an ugly cry, by the way, if you don't know Hebrew. That's the ugly, that's the car, that's when you're in the car and you're just flooding with tears and you're making ugly faces, that's the cry. Okay, that's what he's talking about. This poor man had an ugly cry and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Listen, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let's pray together before we jump into this passage and explain what God has. Lord, we are dependent on you this morning. Lord, we pray that you would rule and reign in this worship service. God, we are gathered here because we want to, we want to encounter you and we believe that you have preserved your word all the way from King David in a cave so that all of us sitting in this room right now can bring to you the very things that we're afraid of and experience just who you really are for ourselves. Lord, we pray that you will meet us in this place, open the eyes of our hearts so that we can behold you in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen, amen. All right, so I'm gonna do this. We're gonna take notes. If you're taking notes, you can write it this way. Three lessons that King David has for us about how we can uh, transform our caves into cathedrals when fear grips our hearts. Here it is, point number one. First, first lesson is we've gotta learn to celebrate the Lord in this season. Celebrate the Lord in this season. Notice it's in every season. That's the point here, right? Uh, look what the text says. Look, David's writing this in a cave and he says, I will bless the Lord when, church? At all times is what he says. That, that's right. When, when it's good, when things are going great, bank account looking steady. Uh, well, uh, stocks are kind of tanking, but this bank account's looking steady right now, right? It's, we're okay. Or when things are going bad, your kid's wayward, wants nothing to do with you. Health is, is declining, there's division in the family, or when things are just flat out ugly, David says, celebrate the Lord even then. I love this, he says, bless the Lord. Y'all see that in your Bibles? Bless the Lord. Does anybody scratch their head when you think about you, you are called to bless the Lord? Like that sounds kind of backwards, isn't it? I thought God is supposed to bless us. Is God lacking some blessing that he needs for me to give to him? Uh, that's a hard no, right? Uh, so, so what is it? What does he mean by this? Well, David explains to us what it means to, for us to bless the Lord right in the text. We'll see four different descriptions of what he means by bless the Lord. And they have a common theme. Like check it out. You got a pen? Anybody got a pen in the house? Say amen. Okay, all right, I want you to go highlight happy, okay? Go crazy on this. Um, circle some words here uh, in your Bibles if you'd like to do that. First word I want you to circle is the word praise in verse number one. He's describing to us what it means to bless the Lord. He says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Notice this next thing. He says, my soul makes its boast, circle that word boast in your Bible. It makes its boast in the Lord. He says, oh, magnify the Lord, circle that too. And he says, let us exalt his name together. So you got four different words, right? You've got praise, boast, magnify, and exalt, all to communicate to every single follower of God 
how to bless the Lord. If you put all these descriptions, you know what the common theme is? It means celebrate. Celebrate the Lord. Make much of the Lord in every season. Say, Joe, that's just so unrealistic, right? Some of you are facing some of the most scariest situations you've ever faced in your entire life. Maybe you're, you're dealing with the health concern. Maybe it's, you're not sure how to make the right decision and if you make the wrong decision, it's gonna jeopardize so many other relationships. I was sitting across the table from a friend of mine with this passage on my mind and he finds out, listen, this is not, I'm making this up. He finds out that his son, who's 18 years old, has terminal cancer. And I'm supposed to tell him to celebrate the Lord in every season. Let's just be honest in the house of the Lord this morning. Let's be very honest and very blunt. We do not often feel like praising the Lord and celebrating him and making much of him in seasons like that. So how in the world, King David, am I supposed to celebrate the Lord in times like that? Well, David tells us, look at verse number three again, but this time with a little bit more attention and slowing it down a little bit. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Do y'all see that? Do you notice the plurality of what he's saying here? There are gonna come times in your life, especially in those scary and ugly times that you're just flat out not gonna wanna celebrate the Lord. So David's saying, in those moments, press into each other as a faith family and make much of the Lord because you don't have the strength to do that. This is why Sunday mornings are so important to us. They, they matter because there are times in your life where you can't see God at work, but yet you're hearing other people describe how God is working in their life. Here, here's what David's after here. I want you to hear this. Um, joy is not complete until it is shared. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a very true statement if you think about it. That's what David wants us to know. There's some things you'll never, you may think that you have joy, because David could have kept it to himself. God did an amazing thing. Let's go, right? He could have had that moment, but he didn't. He's telling us to celebrate with him. He's inviting us into this because David knows he'll get greater joy when you and other people are celebrating the Lord with him, especially when you don't feel like it. All right, let me give you a real life example of this. Does anybody like to eat at restaurants in here? Anybody like the restaurants? How about, does anybody like BJ's restaurant? I saw it coming into town here. I was coming into the church. Anybody like BJ's? How many of you guys have never been to BJ's? Honest moment, raise your hand. Never been. You gotta get to BJ's, people. All right, let me explain. So BJ's is one of my favorite restaurants, that I, and especially in Indianapolis area. Um, what I love most about BJ's is, uh, is something called their pazookies, all right? Anybody know what a pazookie is? Okay, all right, Pazuki, let me explain what a pazuki is to you. Everybody who doesn't know has not been educated yet. They're about to get educated. A pazuki is a chocolate chip or any kind of cookie that's freshly baked in a huge pan, like this big, and it comes out with ice cream scoops on top of it. Woo, baby, okay. So that, that's a pazuki, right? I go bananas over these pazukis. So my, my family and I, I told my, my kids all excited. I said, guys, we're going to go Tuesday. is half price pazuki day. We're going to go to BJ's. We're going to have pazukis. And I'm so excited. They're not impressed. They want to hang out. It's summertime. They want to go to the pool. They, wanna, they do not want to go get pazukis. 
but I'm all jacked up of these bazookies. And so we're, we're going. I get him in the car. I get all, I say, all right, guys, you can get whatever bazooki you want. They're like, I don't care. So I said, just trust me, you're gonna love it. They get their bazooki, and I'll never forget the moments when they tice the bazooki. I mean, their face lights up like a firecracker. And I'm in that moment, it's like, you see? You see, I about stand up on the table like, I told you so, right? I'm sharing, we're sharing each other's bazookas. Oh, you like that one? Try this one, right? What am I doing? Why am I acting a crazy fool like that? Because I get great joy when I see my kids get excited about bazookas. <laughs> I'm talking about bazookas at church. That's kind of crazy. All right, but the point is this. It's exactly what David's saying. Joy is not complete, loved ones, until it is shared. Your joy for the Lord in this moment when it's good will be more complete when you're standing next to somebody in a worship service or you're looking across the, the worship center at somebody in your small group that you know is going through a hard time and you're, they see you worshiping the Lord with excitement when they don't feel like it and then you go stand next to them and say, let me tell you how good God is. He's with you now, trust me they are able to get their eyes off of the very thing that they're afraid of and onto the Lord because you are magnifying the Lord in front of them. It's this idea of a magnifying glass. You're just simply holding up a magnifying glass and saying, look what God did for me. Do you remember that prayer request we've been praying about for a year? God just did it. It's an amazing thing. And what happens is whenever someone, maybe perhaps you, are struggling with fear and you can't worship the Lord like that, you see their hearts and their faith. If God did it for them, surely he can do it for me. That's what David is after here. And it's the first lesson of the song. We, in every season, need to celebrate the Lord. And when we don't feel like we have the strength to do it, when we, when, when we, we have to get our eyes off of our, the very thing we're afraid of and onto the Lord, and we do this together. All right, here's the second thing I want you to see. A second stanza of the, of the worship song that David shares with us is um, very personal. And check it out, verse number four, it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. All right, and continuing, he says, verse five, those who seek the Lord are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Let me give you some context here. Um, there's a lot that's happening in David's situation that maybe perhaps if you were not here when Pastor Eric preached out of Psalm 142, you're completely clueless to. So I'm about to load your wagon. Here's what's going on in David's life. Um, and again, what he's after, here's the second lesson I wanna pull out for you. If you're gonna write notes, here's the second lesson. Lesson number is we've gotta learn to look to the Lord first. David is communicating to us in the second stanza how vitally important it is in every season, not just to celebrate the Lord, but once you get your eyes on the Lord and you see who he is and you remember how faithful he is, what's going to happen to you is now you have an opportunity now to just look to him and not to other people or other circumstances to provide the help that you are so desperately wanting. David says, trust me when I say this to you, seek the Lord First, not second, not third, not fifth in line, but first. Here's what's going on in David's life. And I want you to picture the scene, okay? Imagine uh, King Saul has just communicated, uh, well, you just found out that the king is gonna send out assassins to kill you. We already talked about how most of us in this room would have tinkled ourselves at the reality of the thought that assassins are gonna come and take you out, right? So you're running. You're running in fear. Now what David did is he ran in the middle of the night, six miles south of Gibeah where he was living. 
Imagine, in the middle of the night, he sneaks out of his back window because the assassins are coming to his house, gets down, downstairs and runs six miles away. While he's running away, uh, he runs, the first place he goes to is finding a person of peace. So he goes to a priest, a priest that he had met in the past. He goes to a town called Nob, a village called Nob. He gets there and he says, hey, look, I'm on a secret mission from the king because he didn't want to let the cat out of the bag, right? He didn't want to tell him that they had assassins coming after him. And so he tells the priest, hey, I'm, on, I'm like a, a secret agent, 007 style. Nobody knows what's going on. I need you to, to provide any kind of food for me because I had to leave in a hurry. I got no guns. I got no, no knives. I got no weapons and no food. What do you got? And the priest says, actually, I have some holy bread that you can have. Um, you're more than welcome to this, but as long as you kept yourself pure, you can have it. He says, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. The men are good with me, as if he had men with him. Nobody was with him. He gets his bread, eats the bread, having dinner with the priest. And all of a sudden, he starts asking the priest some other questions. Hey, do you happen to have any weapons? Because quite frankly, I, I was such a hurry. I didn't have any weapons to get with me. So you got anything? And the priest says, actually, you're not going to believe this. Uh, do you remember that sword that you used to kill Goliath with? And, and he, David's like, yeah, what are you talking about? Why, why? Because it's behind the coat rack right now. You left it here when you, when you left town. He was like, you're kidding me. That sword is here? He's like, yeah, it's, it's here. You want it? You go, ahead, go ahead and get it. He gets the sword. He's holding this sword that he killed Goliath with in his hands. And instantly he's reminded of how God helped him in the past, right? Yeah. You would think then that he would cry out to the Lord, right? Eh, wrong. David is panicked because guess what just happened? He found out that the assassins are getting closer to him. So instead, he's holding the sword. You have been here before. Most of us have. You know God is faithful. He's done it in the past, but you hear something's happening and it's coming to take you out. And what you do is you panic and you devise a plan the best plan you can come up with to try to grapple control, grapple control, get control of the circumstance. And what does he do? He makes a blunder. He decides to go find refuge in the land of his enemies, specifically the town that Goliath was from, the town of Gath. That was a bad plan. How many of y'all agree with that was a bad plan, right? Bad plan. What are you thinking here? Okay, so he goes there in panic. He was afraid, church. As I asked you earlier, how many of you tend to make bad decisions and you're afraid? Yeah. Most of the hands went up. This is that moment for David. Yeah. So he's sitting, he's, he's now running. He travels 20 miles from Nob to the, to the land of the Philistines, hoping that he can just disguise himself and get in the land. When he gets there, he's instantly recognized by the watchman in the tower, specifically because he's carrying the sword of Goliath. And they immediately arrest him. They bring him to the king. And now here's the scene. He's arrested in chains knowing that he's gonna be executed by his enemies. So what should you do in that situation, right? Call out to the Lord, right? Call out to God, wrong again, right? David, boy, he's a man after God's own heart, isn't he not, right? Actually, he's not right now. And so what he decides to do is he decides to take matters into his own hands and panic again, and he acts like he was bitten by a raccoon with rabies, all right? Foaming at the mouth, banging his head on the, on the, on the gate, crawling at the, uh, leaving marks on the city gate. He's acting like a crazy. Here's the point. He utterly humiliated himself. He's the future king of Israel, but he's not acting like it. He's doing things that he should have never done. And he's saying things he should have never said, all because he was afraid. Some of us sitting in this room right now have done that this week. Said things you shouldn't have said, done things you shouldn't have done because you're afraid. 
when David is saying, man, he, it, the king finds out what happened. He's like, I don't need another crazy person in this town. Get him out of here. He forces him to leave. And that's when David ends up in a cave. He ends up in this cave of Adullam. And that's when he prays that prayer of Psalm 142 that Pastor Eric preached on. But here's what I want you to see. In the midst of his prayer, that's when God rushes in on him. Specifically, you know what God did? This will blow you out of the water. God, in answer to his prayer, this is the first time, church, the first time he cries out to the Lord in the midst of all the chaos he's been through, the first time he calls the Lord and God answers him. Listen what happened. First, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of the clear blue sky, his family started to show up in the cave. Like, what in the world? How did you even know I was here? How did you know I was in this cave? His mom and his dad and whoever else shows up, starts coming to the cave. Out of the clear blue, they traveled 20 miles to that specific cave. On top of that, his, some friends came, some associates came, some other soldiers came, and all the misfits in town came. All together, check this. 400 people show up in the exact cave that David is in after he sought the Lord for the first time. Now, come on, church. That's amazing, right? Like, that's how would you feel, right? You would feel a sense of relief and a sense of joy and like flooding with tears. Like, God heard me. Are you serious? This is amazing. That's the moment that David is capturing here in Psalm 34. And now look at verse number five, knowing all of that context. Listen to what he says. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. You know what he's saying? I wish I would have looked to the Lord first because then I wouldn't have to change my face and appearance to be like a crazy person. I could have stood my ground as a strong, radiant king of God but instead, I took matters into my own hands and I acted foolish. I wish I would have looked to the Lord first, which is exactly David's point to all of us sitting in this room right now. I wonder what it is that's in your life right now that the Lord is bubbling up to your mind and your heart that you are afraid of. Whatever it is, church, I would encourage you to write it down. And on your way out of here, as you get in the car, that's the thing you tell God, I want to look to you to help me with this. I need help with this. I can't control this anymore. Every time I try to put my hands on it and try to figure it out and come up with a solution, I end up making a mess. No more. It's you, God. I'm looking to you first. That's what David's appealing to us. And look, he tells us why. He says, why, why should you look to God first? Look what he says in the text, verse number six. He said, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Like, write that down. Why should you look to the Lord first? Because he hears you when you cry. Like, that is amazing. The, the king of the universe is gonna hear you when you're having an ugly cry in the car? Yes, come on. That's what's happening here. Continuing on, he says this. He said, and he saves him out of all of his troubles. He, he saves me, right? He saves me from all of my troubles. Look again at the text again, verse number seven. He says, the angel of the Lord encamps around him. That means the Lord, he surrounds me whenever I'm afraid. I think about that. That word encamp means like, like an army is encamped all around you to protect you and to provide for you. That's your God, church. That's what God is doing for you. 
why are you afraid is what David is saying. Don't do that. Don't try to grapple for control. And lastly, he says this, he, he delivers them. Those who seek the Lord, those who look to the Lord first experience God's deliverance. He'll set you free. Boy, I, I, I cannot help. As I was praying for you this week, asking the Lord to just work and prepare your hearts to receive this, I cannot help but believe that some of you in this room are trying to overcome your struggle, trying to deal with the very thing that's got you worked up and stressed out and filled with anxiety on your own. You're looking to everyone and everything else when God is saying, look to me. I will help you. I will provide for you. I will set you free in the struggle you're in. And David's saying, trust me, hands up, he does. 400 people, y'all. Come on. All right, so keep going. What I want you to see is that if you're taking notes, again, so far, the two stanzas that we've unpacked, the two lessons that David is giving us, he says, look, in every season, we need to be celebrating the Lord. And when you don't feel like you have the strength to do it, lean into the body of Christ. Get around other people who are magnifying him. The second thing he tells us here is we've got to learn to look to God first, not last or second, but first. And here's the last thing I want to show you, the last lesson that I have time to cover with you this morning is simply this. If you're taking notes, you can write it this way. Um, experience the Lord's faithfulness for yourself. Experience the Lord's faithfulness for yourself. Your fear is actually an opportunity from the Lord to experience his faithfulness. Let me, uh, let me take you to the passage. Look at verse number eight. This is where you see this from most clearly. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Even the young lions suffer want and they hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is, this is King David explaining, this is an invitation for you. How many of you would honestly admit this morning that there are some things that you're afraid of? Don't raise your hand. How many of you say there's some things in your life that you're afraid of? If that's the case, David is just trying to connect the dots for you. He's saying that's an opportunity for you to experience for yourself how faithful God is. See it that way. Here I am in a cave and I'm telling you, it's true. He is faithful. He said, taste and see. He's saying, you taste, you see for yourself that God is faithful. Try him. Now, David, listen, David could have said very easily um, that we, we, we should believe that God is good, right? He could have said, believe that God is good, but that's not what he told us. In fact, he's not telling us to affirm a point of doctrine this morning. He's telling us to taste and see for ourselves. What's the difference? What's the difference between affirming a doctrine and actually experiencing it? Well, here's maybe an example like this. Do I have any Italian people in the room? Italian people, I got a couple of you, okay. Well, two, that's, that's okay. Uh, two people in a, from an Italian background. I'm, I'm an Italian, I came, I came from an Italian family, um, born and raised in it. But like, my grandmother, my grandmama, right, she's, she, her mom is from Italy, and she makes, no joke, the most amazing Italian gravy. By the way, if you don't know the difference between Italian sauce and Italian gravy, gravy is when, it's have, when you have meat inside the sauce. Do I hear an amen? Okay, all right, so here you go. So that, that's a gravy, all right? So my grandmama's gravy uh, is, is amazing. Now I could tell you all about the molecular structure of the gravy and making sure you, how it lights up your taste buds and make your tongue slap your brain. I mean, it was, I could tell you all about 
I can even show you a picture of my cousin Dominic, the first time he actually tasted my grandmother's sauce, how he was excited and jacked up over the sauce, right? I can tell you all about that. I could even, you, you may hear all those stories and believe for yourself that God, or that my grandmother's gravy is amazing. However, you wouldn't know it to be true personally. The only way you would know it to be true is if you tasted it, right? That's exactly what David's telling us here. Anything other than personal experience is secondhand. So how many of you sitting in this room right now admittedly would say, I have a secondhand experience of God's goodness. I don't know God's goodness and his faithfulness personally. I don't, I don't necessarily personally know how good he is. I've heard sermons about it though. I've heard, hey, hey we'll, we'll sing songs about it though. I've been going to church since I was knee high to a grasshopper. Bet you haven't heard that in a long time, right? Knee high to a grasshopper, um, but yet, I know all about how good guys, but I don't know that personally. Well, here, it's because you have a secondhand experience of it. And David is giving us an invitation to, to step into experiencing God's faithfulness by the very thing that's got you afraid. Your fear is the very thing that God is wanting to use in your life so that you can experience how good he really is. See, oftentimes, we don't know God's faithfulness because we don't turn to him when we're scared. We'll turn to our friends, we'll turn to other people, but we won't turn to the Lord. So we trust him with our minds, but we don't trust him with our situation. David's saying, the Bible is replete with examples of how God is faithful. Trust him. What is it that you need to bring to the Lord this morning? What is it that's got you afraid that you can bring to him? And David's saying, bring that to him and trust me when I say he is good and you will have your own story of how good he is. Look at verse 10 with me. I want you to see this and we'll wrap it up. Verse 10 says this, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You know, lions, lions are by far one of the greatest hunters and predators um, in the world. Uh, in fact, they're the least likely of all the beasts to ever go hungry, right? They symbolize power and self-sufficiency. Uh, in fact, the very qualities that our world absolutely loves, right? Yet, it's the self-confident and self-made predators of our world that will come up empty in, in time. What David is saying is it's God's people that will lack no good thing. So Christian, I wonder if there's an opportunity right now that you can experience God's faithfulness, if you could bring the very thing that you're afraid of into his presence and discover for yourself just how faithful he is. If I were to put all three of these different uh, lyrics and these different stanzas together, all three of these lessons that we learn uh, from David's story, here's the, here's the one big idea that sits over top of the first three stanzas of this song, this worship song. If you want to overcome fear, then magnify the Lord. If you want to overcome fear, then magnify the Lord. Look at again, verse three says this, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. Let's pray together.
as we end this worship service. Lord, we are so thankful. We're thankful that you have preserved for us several thousand years later this incredible moment that King David experienced in a cave on the other end of the world. (laughs) Only your goodness, God, could do that. But here in this worship song, David is communicating to us a lot about who you are. And Lord, I pray as a church family this morning, God, that you would help us to be a people that would not allow fear to pull us away from you as if you don't care or you're disinterested in what's going on in our lives. But I pray that through the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit, you will open our eyes to see that the very thing that scares us, the very thing that's going on in our lives that terrify us is the very thing that you are using as an opportunity for us to experience your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that as a people of God, you would cause us to be celebrators of you in every season, getting our eyes off of the circumstance and onto you, and we pray that you would help us to look to you first. And in doing so, God, we pray that you will show us how faithful you are. Lord, I pray that as a, as a, a church family on the other end of town, God, we would be able to partner together to see the gospel radiate all over the city and around the world because we are a people in hot pursuit of King Jesus. These are not just words and a song that was sung by a king from decades and years and centuries ago. This is our song. You are our God and our deliverer. And we pray that you will help us to see you as such. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen.